Welcome to episode 15 of the In the Name of Service podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Here, we broadcast stories of everyday men and women who've answered a call to serve in hopes of inspiring and catalyzing the rest of us to follow suit in our own way. Today's interview is with Ben Davis, former Navy SEAL and director of Veterans Outdoor Advocacy Group, or Vogue. Vogue's all-volunteer team works to enable access to outdoor adjunct therapies for all veterans in need by promoting the benefits of outdoor adjunct therapy for veterans, delivering research and advocacy, driving access, proving efficacy, and perpetuating the well-being of our public lands. Ben and his team do the work that most of us in helping roles despise, developing relationships with lawmakers, earning a seat at the table in legislative efforts, and creating a way for those of us hoping to help to actually do so. Although he works full-time as a cybersecurity specialist, Ben is also leading a team of bright and driven individuals already successful in advocating for the passing of the Accelerating Veterans Recovery Outdoors Act in 2020, bringing attention at the national level that many veterans have been helped by spending time in nature as an adjunct to traditional medical and mental health treatment. Additionally, they have founded the Vogue Coalition, which is a group of partners collaborating to mutually support ongoing veteran outdoor experiences and to establish standards of quality and best practices for outdoor therapy implementation. If you would like more information on Vogue, would like to contribute directly to Vogue, or are a part of a program that would like to collaborate with Vogue, please check out the show notes. There you will find a number of great videos and also more information on one of my favorite projects Vogue has completed in 2022 called the 31 and 31 Project. This project focused on the men who died aboard a CH-47 helicopter on August 6, 2011. Call sign Extortion 17. 31 Americans and 7 Afghan nationals were killed that night, resulting in the greatest individual loss of life for the U.S. forces during the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. Over the course of 31 weeks, between January 1st, 2022 and August 6, 2022, Vogue and its coalition partners took 31 veterans into the outdoors in various capacities. These trips range from climbing, hiking, skiing, mountain biking, hunting, and fishing. All of the trips were to focus on remembering one of the 31 killed more than 10 years ago in the Hindu Kush mountains. My son, Jonas, is actually named after Jonas Kelsaw, friend of my husband Jared, and Navy SEAL officer aboard the aircraft. It also holds additional dearness to me because of the three Air Force Special Tactics airmen also aboard, Tech Sergeant John Brown, Staff Sergeant Andrew Harvell, and Tech Sergeant Daniel Zerby whose unit I had the opportunity to serve from 2016 to 2022. The call to action is this. Let's get Ben and his team the metrics they need to advocate for veterans and the program serving them. If you're a veteran or a care provider with experience incorporating adjunctive outdoor therapy, you can find Vogue contact information on their website. Thank you for listening. Ben, nice to have you here on the In the Name of Service podcast. I'll have you start us off by telling us your own story. Tell us your background and what brings you to where you're at today in life. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, and pretty normal normal upbringing in sports. My dad was a uh, professor at Virginia Tech and uh, 
yeah, normal middle class upbringing. When I got to the point of looking at undergrads, I was not a, certainly not a very good student, but also not very interested in um, in college, but it was sort of a, the expected thing for me to do. So I picked one. I don't really understand the University of Tennessee's admission requirements, especially at that time, but um, somehow I got in there and I sort of went through the motions. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually University of Tennessee Chattanooga, so maybe, uh, well, I'll keep it to myself. But yeah, <laughs> certainly, I've I've since applied to college, and I don't think that they um, let people with my high school academic record in. But I got in, and um, yeah, just sort of went through the motions. I was sort, you know, just picked a major, and I was you know, trying to fulfill the expectations that my parents had of me and got through about three years of more poor grades. And um, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time. It was a long time. You got some resilience. (laughs) No, I think I got through like 12 credits in that amount of time. (laughs) And so I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. Anyway, I had been a wrestler. I had been a wrestler in in high school and um, some of my teammates and one of my very close friends went to the Naval Academy and wrestled and played basketball. And so now we're at like the year three or four mark in undergrad. And I really, I thought what they were doing was really, really cool. I was like, man, I should have done better in high school. I should have, you know, these guys got uh, sports scholarships to academies. They're really on track to do something cool. And I thought I was sort of uh, envious of that. So finally, or one day they, you know, they tell me, Hey, there's this thing that we're going to do called Navy SEALs and um, you could do it. doesn't really, you don't have to come from the academy. We're all going to do it. It's like the hardest thing you can possibly do. And I wasn't doing anything. I didn't want, I didn't have any aspirations to have the sort of jobs that my classmates were aspiring to in college. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So this was 2010. So the the SEAL teams were gaining some popularity in in the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, I, I knew what it was as a kid, but not really. But yeah. it was sort of starting to become like um, in the spotlight a little bit more. So these guys were going to go do it. And I was like, man, I'm out of here. I'm doing it too. Um, so, <laughs> Did you guys get my, in the same selection class or? No. I'll, you know, as you know, it's not it's not super easy to like, that, that process probably took like 10 or 11 months. Of, oh, yeah. You know, your eyes are need this and your shoulder, we need, we need to get your shoulder look, you know, a bunch of just silly stuff. So finally it worked out and off I went. I dropped out, went to San Diego and hit it. And it was great. It was hard. Obviously I finished up in 2000 and uh, the last month of 2011, I think. And I went to Virginia beach to SEAL team four and uh, I was there for the next nine years. So yeah, I did a uh, three deployments and went all around and it was awesome. It was great. It was, I would do it again. Or, you know, if another 21 year old asked me if, um, I recommend it. I would. I would definitely say yes. It wasn't. It wasn't without some pain, obviously, and some you know hardship. But overall, it was a great experience. Yeah. So it was at the end of my third deployment. I had married my wife between my second and my third deployment, and she was pregnant on my third. I came back, and I was just like going to do it again. And um, yeah, yeah. I was going to go to the same place, and I was going to you know now I was like I had a wife, and I was going to have a baby. A little bit of the mystery, I think, of it had been lost in the sort of whatever I was chasing. What do you think you were chasing? I just wanted to, I, you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to contribute, I think. And I kind of came in a little bit after what I would call like the heaviest fighting of, um, of the global war on terror. 
Yeah. A lot of a lot of guys that were like only a deployment or two or three older than me were had really done some impactful stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And we came in and guys were still going to Afghanistan and um in Iraq really, but it was a lot it was different. It was a lot more like partnered support sort of whatever. And yeah, so I'd done all this training, you know, I'd given like 10 years to this thing and I wanted to play in the game. I wanted to have an impact on um on the bad evil people of the world. And fortunately that had, you know, that had happened a little bit, but to be honest, I sort of saw, I could see myself becoming some of the senior people um, in the community. And it occurred to me that, you know, maybe I, it wasn't a path that I really wanted to be on or it didn't really excite me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a necessity. I mean, the teams are relying on those senior leaders to do what they do. So I really respect that, but it wasn't, you know, when I looked like 10 years of 10 years down the road in Virginia Beach and my family and some of the other stuff I wanted to accomplish in life, I just didn't see it happening by being in the Navy another 10 years. Um, yeah. 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 So I got out and moved to Denver and I went back to school uh, at William and Mary for in 2019 and 20 and finished here in Denver. And when I got here, I had linked up with some guys who were also on team four, but much older than me and had these guys were basically had moved to Colorado like myself five years earlier and had navigated their own post-traumatic stress and their sort of post-military life in the mountains here in skiing yeah. and in climbing. And by doing so, they ended up sort of becoming a resource for other veterans. My colleague within the Vogue, his name's Josh Jesperson, and he was pursuing an AMGA guiding career, but so, sort of simultaneously was like a leader for the veteran community in mountain guiding in Colorado. So he and another SEAL, Dustin Kissling, were got together and there was some legislation that was being put forth in the Accelerating Recovery Outdoors Act, which would look at the opportunity for the VA to prescribe outdoor therapy as a mental health implementation. So say you're, let's say you're seeing someone at the VA for, you're seeing a care provider at the VA for whatever mental health situation is going on. And and this care provider has a list of pharmaceuticals or talk therapy or whatever at their disposal to help the veteran with this change of legislation, they could add funding for outdoor recreation. And was that legislation specific to veterans? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So this was in 2019. So anyway, these two guys got together and they said, Hey, this, you know, we've been witness to how transformative time spent in the outdoors is for, um, for these guys and girls. And I think, you know, specifically as it pertains to the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam and and, and every war. But, you know, there was something about the way that guys and girls went to Afghanistan and led small teams through the through rural environments, through the mountains on multi-day operations that really they found catharticism in outdoor recreation in the mountains when they got back home. So they basically said, hey, this is something worth fighting for. And so right. they founded the Veterans Outdoor Advocacy Group, whose you know primary focus was just to get this piece of legislation um, across the line. So I was super interested in it. I was like, man, this is something, you know, like that outdoor recreation or outdoor therapy is definitely something that I uh, personally engage in for my own mental health benefit. So like right. I can be a part of this. So yeah, many, many trips to Capitol Hill occurred and 
It ended up getting absorbed in the Compact Act, which passed in December of uh, 2020. Awesome. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a huge win. And in the time and our efforts to pass, to get that done, the organization just became more and more robust. I mean, people really got behind it. And we did some, I mean, we've probably done 50, 50 trips and events to sort of highlight outdoor therapy, adjunct outdoor therapy. It's, it's important that it's sort of... Um, like in conjunction? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because we're not trying to prove a new... You're not treatment. claiming this is no, the end-all exactly be-all. Right. right, right. Exactly right. So just that time spent in the outdoors in parallel with other implementations um, is beneficial. So Absolutely. Yeah. So the thing really grew and a bunch of different life circumstances happened with the folks who are in the organization. And um, I ended up being in the right place in life to um, become the director. And so now I'm doing that. And uh, that's just, it's all, it's a nonprofit. So it's all volunteer. Everyone does is a volunteer. So yeah. And yeah, we, we now we try to take on some other adjacent legislation that's we find to be sort of related to access to the outdoors and anything okay. that sort of prohibits veterans ability to navigate the outdoors or educate them or so that would you know, be like even possibly equipment or programs or yeah totally okay. or like using your gi bill for outdoor vocations or a more simplified streamlined permitting process for hunting and fishing or oh yeah that'd um, be so cool yeah yeah so we we basically utilize the relationships that we made in that initial bill to take the voice of the actual implementators that, you know, the, the, the veterans service, service organizations who are actually doing the, the programs, you know, everything from adaptive skiing to veteran elk hunting and say, Hey, what are your, what are your main issues? What are your main friction points? You know, why are, what is preventing veterans from, being able to engage in this type of practice more and then go to leverage those relationships we made in, in DC to help affect it. That's Vogue. And it's been a real, it's been a real honor and privilege. And it's been um, definitely therapeutic for myself to be, to be involved with it. It's just like such a good example of how we kind of stumble through life. Most of us, if we're honest, you know, into the things that, if we're if we continue to look, we really care about and are skilled at and enjoy and that fuel us. But I have a lot of questions. What are you hearing now? Are the kind of common themes of barriers for those certain programs that you spoke about? Yeah. So when the bill passed, essentially it went into this examination period, and we're actually on a task force that is tasked with providing um, an efficacy study or okay. presenting to Congress at the end of 24 months saying, you know, hey, this is or isn't viable and is or isn't something that should be allocated budget going That's forward. a tall order. Yeah, it is. Luckily, you know, I think the efficacy of it is is enough to where it's not, there's not really anyone that's trying to prove that it's worthless. But you still have to have data to present essentially. Yeah, we yeah. We do, but not I don't not consistent with like a new pharmaceutical that would need to be um long term so many random trials of that's right. (laughs) That's right. I think you know testimony is enough and testimony from some of the from some of the healthcare and psych um, community saying it not unlike someone who runs or does yoga or 
whatever. I mean, we don't need a, a neuro a neurological study to say like, oh, this veteran started exercising and now they feel better. It's if they if they say they do, then that's um, substantial as long as there's no risk. But to answer your question, it's more it's more in the how. I think it's a. I think in, as an idea, it's it's great, and it is great. It's it's um, something we should do. But in the you know, how are we going to ensure that these this funding goes into the right hands, and how are we going to accredit these outdoor nonprofits to make sure that the quality of care and the you know what are the best practices that these these organizations are going to adhere to to make sure that we're not putting the veterans at at risk. I mean, are we just going to write a check to anyone who says they're a fly fishing organization and they'll take a veteran out and right. um, and then also expanding to accommodate, not accommodate, but expanding the reach to a really broad definition of outdoor adjunct therapy. So, it, you know, we want to be inclusive of a Vietnam veteran who wants to walk in Central Park or someone in, you know, anywhere that outdoor recreation to them is a 10 minute paddleboard session or bird watching or whatever. Vogue was sort of founded, I guess, because we're seals in skiing and, um, and climbing and mountaineering. But it's been important to us to make sure that that's not when a veteran thinks about, hey, is this something that I want to engage in, that they don't get this feeling of like, uh, I don't really know how to rock climb. Right. Like that just seems like another task to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not up for it. It's so extreme or it's like, I don't, you know, basically people join the military from urban America's urban locations, cities, and they don't, you know, they didn't maybe ever go camping or hunting or fishing or whatever. And so what can we do to make sure that there's equitable access to this implementation, regardless of what you already know about the outdoors, basically? Yeah, right. I love that. And how do you do that? That's like (laughs) very broad. I mean, I am totally all for it. I agree. And in fact, even those of you guys who in the soft community, like you you may have grown up outdoors and you already know, like Mm -hmm. intimately the benefits that you get from being outdoors. You kind of set that aside at some point in your career. And um, because you're just solely focused, for example, I was at a program just this week and programmed in was a 30 minute walk. And the guys were like, okay, you know, but then after they got back 30 minutes outside, it's like, well, how do you feel? It's like, well, actually like I'm more awake. My mind is cleared. It's like, okay, you think you can solve problems a little better? You know what I mean? Like these are guys obviously still in, but I love the idea of access, right? That it's like, especially if there is some kind of either a financial barrier or physical barrier, environmental barrier that they still are going to get access. But I just, I just want to know, I guess, how you're viewing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. It's such a question that, you know, Congress was determined to stand up this task force. So there's some, there's some really big players on this task force, heads of the National Park Service, heads of the Department of the Interior. Health and Human Services, the DOD, Team Red, White, and Blue. And what it looks like, I think, is for veterans to come forth and, you know, hear from the, the VSO community and say, you, if you say you're interested in, in hunting or fishing or skiing or what have you, why didn't you? And is it skis are too much money or 
I got on the website, I needed a permit and it's like, it was too far out or, you know, there was a reservation system at this park and da, 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 or they, I, I, when I got out, I really wanted to be a guide. I really wanted to be a mountain guide, but they wouldn't accept my GI bill or da, 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 da. So f- identifying the barriers that exist, because rarely do we, do you hear from someone that's like, I don't engage in the outdoors and I don't have any interest in doing so. I mean, right. sure. There's people that, that's their, you know, where they are and that's fine, but it's not common. Um, And then going to these departments and saying, Hey, this is the feedback that we're getting, whether you think it's minuscule or nuanced or not, it's preventing access. And then also working with the transition process, whether that's the DOD or, or otherwise, and making sure that the education is there just in in the same sense of when you get out of the military, you, you're probably going to take some class on um, investing and yeah, 401k management and, and and stuff like that, and not some class where you know you want to get out of the military and it's like we're going to teach you how to camp, but sort of um, a message that hey, look, you've had this this community for 20 years, you've had a purpose for 20 years, you've had a challenge for 20 years. You've had accountability to your teammates for 20 years. If you don't find something that is going to fill that space, it's going to be challenging. And there's a bunch of options to to fill it, the outdoors or whatever. These are the options. Because I think when we when an outdoor adjunct therapy is really effective. You know, no one says like, I caught the biggest fish and it was just so awesome how (laughs) cool it was or the whatever, you know, it's just a, it's just an engagement. It's something that's, that's hard. They're probably accountable to uh, the, the people that are on the trip with them. And there's in some cases risk, which people sort of miss, I think. Yeah. It mimics their service or it mimics combat. Um, and it's sort of nostalgic and um, and cathartic. So, right, yeah. So, getting ahead of it, I think, really is the answer by sort of breaking down the why. Why are the uh, why are veterans not more involved? And then having that free setting the stage a little better for the transitioning person, so that they, um, you know, are asking themselves, "Hey, when I get out and I get this job in tech that's remote, what do I want to do?" You know, what do I, what is, you know, I was shooting guns or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Skydiving. And now I'm going to work at this tech job. If I don't find something to sort of fill that um, hole, it's it's not going to be good. Yeah. So how are you hearing from veterans right now? So we have the Vogue started the Vogue Coalition, which I think there's about 12 organizations. And these are actual everyday sole purpose is the facilitation. And that's been a really that's been a really big part of Vogue's sort of longevity is that we have access to these organizations that are working with the veterans every day. Because we don't, to be honest. Not that it's not something we're trying to hide, but Well it's we not don't. something people can't be down and in working with a veteran yeah. and also up and out going to DC. Exactly. Like that can't it, it can almost never be the same person. And we both appreciate each other. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly right. So that's been, um, that's been a lightsaber. And really, without that, I wouldn't say that 
we would dissolve and not have anything to do, but we wouldn't have firsthand knowledge. We wouldn't have credibility. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't even really know what to address. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't know what problems to solve. Yeah. Yeah. And so these people are awesome. There's an abundance of them. Sometimes we hear from veterans that it's a little overwhelming, the amount of like, you know, like do this choice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 But there's some really talented, um, there's some really talented organizations out there that are doing some really good work and they are all on the Vogue website. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll list the website and then we'll list those organizations individually in the show notes also. How do you think the normal person listening to this, maybe they're not a veteran, but you know, they're related to one or they care about one. How can they get involved in the efforts that you've got going on? Yeah. So, um, that's, that's a great question. I mean, the obvious answer, which when people tell me to do this, I sort of think to myself, like, yeah, I'll get to it is, um, <laughs> you know, communicate with lawmakers or, and mention, you know, any, any sort of engagement with civic individuals, not doesn't have to be a U.S. congressman or senator or anything like that. But, you know, look at the look at the access and the usability of the outdoor systems and, and places in your town and your state. And if it's you know, if it's challenging for, for you to navigate, then it's, um, we can assume that it's challenging for all Americans to, to navigate. And, uh, yeah, basically just get involved, try to identify places where, you know, barriers to access of the outdoors and, you know, be in touch with the veteran community if, you know, that are the veterans that are in your life and, you know, ask questions. And I think that's really it. If, if I look 10 years in the future, this topic is is highly regionalized in terms mm-hmm. of um, support and the office that you or the website or whatever you need to access is is sort of regionalized in your in your town or in your county. I think right now, in my opinion, it's a way to federalize everything from suicide crisis hotlines and you know you want to visit a national park or you want to visit a permit or any of this stuff is like it's it it just feels like you're dealing with like um the massive dmv and i mean it's it's sort of overwhelming (laughs) so i think part of what we want to do is transfer authority and policy design to the state and county level and not just in outdoors but also in sort of veteran resources not right it doesn't feel natural to think like i need help like i'm going to call this national number right or hey my buddy's not doing so well i want somebody to talk to like maybe i'll go on the va's website and call like 1-800 help or something like that it just doesn't feel to me intuitive and that's nothing again, you know, the, the folks who are responsible for that, I'm sure they they save lives all the time. And I appreciate that. But I think the more we can regionalize veteran resources, both for all things in life and, but also for um, therapeutic implementations, the better off we'll be. So if people can affect that yeah. um, wherever they are, non-veterans, that's, that would be a big help, I think. Great. And if the veterans in their lives don't know that they can ask their healthcare or mental health care providers about this kind of prescription to be outdoors, then there's that as well. Totally. How do you stay motivated these days? That's a, like the problems you've uncovered and I mean, anytime you talk about changing uh, law 
or anything really with lawmakers, it seems pretty overwhelming. So how do you stay motivated to contribute these days? I think for me, it's, um, it feels like it really matters. I have a, I have an, um, a nine to five also in tech. And, um, I think that this working with Vogue has been a way, it's been a way to replace a lot of the purpose that I had when I was in the Navy. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when, when you get out, nothing really happens to you other than you sign your paper and you probably move, but you know, like at least for us, we're still, we're still seals and I care about those guys as much as I cared about, um, as much as I cared about the seals that I was in platoons with. So I'm not any less motivated to help. And I think we're sort of in, in the first, second quarter of what's going to become the realized impacts of, um, of the GWAT. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. In terms of just some of the decisions that were made earlier, earlier in the war or later in the war, you know, all kinds. I mean, we could talk about that for days, just sort of like, I think the, the impacts, you know, the concussion impacts and sort of the, the acute TBIs. Yeah, you know, repetitive acute TBIs. And we're sort of, you know, we're sort of starting to figure out you can see with the NFL, like, yeah, you know, it doesn't take a massive IED that send you 50 feet through the air, you know, a couple of small concussions can really become impactful. And I mean, just all kinds of things. I think that we're not in the micro, it was sort of like, Hey, we got to do this and we got to get through this deployment. But in the macro, a lot of GWAP veterans deployed four, five, six times. I don't think it's, I don't think I could be, well, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, think that i know people in vietnam deployed three four times two three times but um i mean you you know you can find senior e9s and stuff you know 10 deployments oh yeah in iraq and afghanistan very common you're talking mm-hmm. about years and years and years of life in combat and i also think there's um we don't have a precedent for it like we don't have yeah. another population we can look to right. and, yeah yeah and i think you know simultaneously it's becoming more acceptable to sort of um examine and and reckon with your mental health, mm-hmm. luckily. Yeah, thankfully. And yeah, I think I think the community, the GWAT veteran has a sort of a, a level of unhealthy humility when it comes to raising your hand for mental health right. issues and for, for post-TBI issues. I mean, in my time in the teams, yeah. you know, there was always someone a little bit more... Banged up. That or- felt, yeah, there was just... Yeah. It was just sort of known, like, well, tons of guys have it way worse than that. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, like, people, you know, get shot and massive, you know, people got killed. And so, unless you, you know, there's sort of a message like, well, dude, if you're not, you don't really need uh, help more than everyone else and don't. Don't really don't take up know, those resources. Yeah, yeah. Like right. save save the resources that exist for those who need it the most, which is a gr- yeah, you know, not yeah. an idea that I would disagree with. But um, I think a lot of guys had stuff that would be otherwise notable that they just sort of thought like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to take from um, any care or any resources sure. that other people need. Yeah, I think that's really you know that's not that's not a single thing. I think it's. It's from the most infantry, basic, you know, infantry units in the army to uh, tier one operators. Something about GWAP, veterans don't really want the attention on them when it comes to healthcare. 
Yeah. And it's sometimes I think it's because they can't point to a specific catastrophic event. Um, But until they get out and they start processing, because we try not to process anything before we're done, you know, getting switched on. But yeah, it's really the cumulative effects of everything that we're finding is greater even than just some of those singular catastrophic catastrophic events. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it is noble and humble to want to take care of others before yourself. But I will say that with the soft population you were a part of and I've had the opportunity to work with these individuals like a few individuals can do the same amount of impact as a mass can Mm -hmm. when you're talking about these people and so making the choice you know not to care for yourself is also probably impacting a mass of people, or at least there's lost opportunity in the world because these individuals want not to create waves, you know, and they're like, ah, it's just a little bit, you know, I can't sleep or I get headaches every day or like I'm hurting all the time when I think it'll make a big difference. And there's lots of people out there, their whole life is fueled by helping. That's all they want to do. So really, yeah, (laughs) you're being selfish by not not letting them. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think it just generally, uh, veteran or not, I mean, every once in a while, you should just kind of ask yourself, like, how how are you doing? Yeah. yeah that's not that's not weird. So, you know, for veterans to, to do that, you know, they don't... If you're stuck in this cycle of like, oh, other people were way more affected by their, their service than I was, you're probably not ever going to ask yourself that question, honestly, because it's mm-hmm. just through the lens of like, well, my head, you know, my... I feel this way, but I don't. It's from this acute amount of combat, or this was this one thing I saw. But I know other people saw way more than I did, so I don't really want to, um, you know, you just dismiss it. So you had asked me how I stay motivated. Yeah. I think that yeah, it feels like we're sort of on um on the cusp of some real progress and some real lessons learned about what can um you know affect the next generation. And sort of redefine what navigating one's mental health can look like. So I think it's awesome. People have certainly helped me and I'm definitely energized to help other people. What have you learned about healing since you've started your journey with Vogue? It's definitely comprehensive. You know, it's not, um, it's not a, there's nothing, there's no fix all. I think. It's just um, outdoor agent therapy is just an option of many. And what the real issue is, is that there's not a ton of optionality Mm -hmm. that the VA can support. Mm -hmm. And so, I think if you were prescribing, if you were capable of prescribing pharmaceuticals and you had lunch with your best friend, you know, you wouldn't, you would listen to them and then you wouldn't just say like, you would just think through the list of pharmaceuticals that might <laughs> have an impact on them. Right. You know, they're, they're your best friends. So you would just listen about their relationships and their job and this and that and this. And then you said like, you know, we should go on vacation or we should plan a camping trip or we should like, man, I've been going to this yoga class or whatever. And it's really helped me or you should read this book. And I think we need more of that in the systemic healthcare space. Mm-hmm. So more of um a comprehensive look at the veteran and sort of a, the ability for the care provider to support more implementations that aren't so, you know, physiological, like psychiatric implementations. And people definitely 
need those, in my opinion. And we're not, Vogue has never had any out with the, out with the drugs, in with the nature sure. agenda at all. We just want to say, allow the agenda, allow the nature to uh, sit at the table. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've learned, you know, I've, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in this space and a lot of like, oh, this is what you got to do. And, you know, every podcast you can find is like, oh, you got to, you got to like get your hormones fixed and right. you got to like I've drink a gallon answer. of water, just drink <laughs> a gallon of water or, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, there's like tons of, um, you're, you're about one step away from being like totally happy advice. And so, yeah, what I've learned is like, that's not, I don't think that's real. I mean, I think yeah. it's like a, a journey and you've got to kind of like keep the boat just wrote, you know, just keep going in the, in the right direction. Vice, you know, some, all you got to do is go skiing this many days a year and you'll be happy, which is a uh, technique that I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've tried about three winters now and um, it does help. So yeah, for some people it's skiing, other people it's golf, you know, you That's never right. know. Yeah. That's right. I've never seen anyone healed exactly the same way as someone else. Never have. Right. And uh, I just, there, yeah, there's got to be more. So, and I think it does have to come outside of the traditional medical model in soft units. There's POTIF and it is like this multidisciplinary model. And you come to just know that like I, as a provider, I provide a certain thing, but like referrals, I'm a referral machine because mm-hmm. everybody does, they heal in different ways, but so amazing to have some kind of other option out there. Um, especially mm-hmm. for a population who just so happens probably really enjoys being out outside, even if they totally. don't care about, you know, serotonin and how it helps you sleep. Yeah. <laughs> well, what advice? I'll ask you one more question and then sure. I'll thank you for your time because you've given me too much already today. But what advice do you have for someone out there who say they kind of um, feel a call to contribute similar to you? Maybe not focused on the military, but let's just say they feel a call to contribute, but they, uh, they don't know how or where to get started. I would say, you know, I think the most meaningful solutions and offerings and advice or support that comes out of this space are from people that are really introspective and they really can articulate their, their own struggles and their own experience and identify the way they feel or felt, and then try to eliminate, in our case, veterans from repeating the same pain. So if I wanted to, you know, start over in this space, I think I would just, you know, be really honest with myself about my own experience and and the experience of my three, three or four closest SEAL buddies and, and then, and then build something upon the hardest parts of that. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I don't know how the best to say it, but like, Sometimes people in this space will like kind of overweight volume or they'll cling to something that uh, is pretty saturated, but everyone needs, whether that's resume help or, but the books that I see doing the most meaningful and like sort of the most resounding work, I think are people that are coming up with a way to prevent future veterans from experiencing a a component of either the post-combat experience, the transition experience, or post-military life experience. And they want to prevent the future veterans from going through what they did. So my advice would be to, you know, just think about your own, your own experience. Like when you got back from 
the three months that you got back from combat or the first year that you were out of the military or where the, you know, you had, you saw a talk therapist at the VA for a year. What was that like? What was it? What, how did it help? How did it not help? What was the issue with it? What could you, what could be better? And then I think if enough people do that across the community, then, you know, we just start to eliminate those pain points. points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, one by one. And then it's, um, it's a little bit smoother for, for the next, um, to have, uh, you know, for the next generation. Yeah. I love that advice too, because it kind of puts purpose to your pain. Like it allows you to kind of step back from your own yeah. experience. So thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Or just, you know, like it helps get you out of your painful period by thinking right. like, okay, if I can successfully navigate this, then I have like, there is fire. <laughs> There's fuel for my fire now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And if you've gone through it, then it's real. You know, you're not observe. you're not speculating right. a problem. You're not trying to guess what other people are going through. Exactly. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to no, put thank you. Thank all you of for, the goodness. Uh, thank and you for what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. That's awesome. And uh, continue doing what you're doing. I'm going to leave a lot of the information in the show notes. I'll leave it very detailed. You guys also have some really cool YouTube videos out there that are kind of like documentary-ish yeah. um, that I think really will draw people's attention. So thanks for all you're doing Appreciate and that. thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you.